Hello and welcome to another episode of the 905er podcast. My name's Roland Tanner. I am Joel McLeod. And uh, today we're welcoming uh, Jerry Kavanagh, who's a friend of mine who I've known for a long time, but also uh, an entrepreneur and successful business person in, uh, in Burlington, who's done some truly astonishing things in, in your first 40 years on this planet. Uh, it's, it's frankly um, uh, fairly astonishing. He's uh, built a company from, from the age of 20 that went on to earn over $10 million in revenue one of the 14th fastest growing companies in, in Canada in 2012. And he was the youngest CEO in one of the fastest growing companies in the same year. He worked with Canada's snowboard Olympic team at the 2010 Olympics in Vancouver in Canada and was uh, part of that team that actually brought home, home a gold medal that year for Canada's JCJ Anderson. Since then, he's switched focus to commercial aerospace and has won uh, major contracts ever since in in the aerospace industry and has also worked with uh, UK companies in the field of Formula One racing, uh, which uh, has given its name to his current business, which is uh, Formula Formula Technologies. Is that right? Um, Formula Solutions. Formula Solutions. Anyway, so welcome, Jerry, and welcome to the podcast. Okay, well, welcome to the uh, podcast, Jerry. Uh, great to have you. I've obviously known you for a long time now, I don't know, about a decade or something. And Jerry, for what it's worth, lives right across the street from me. So it's a very convenient guest to have. Uh, and actually in the same room today for the only the second time doing an interview with someone <laughs> in person. So it's a very neat experience. <laughs> Uh, your resume is kind of amazing. And, and it's the, because I've known you so long, I forget the different things you've done. But I mean, just let's go right back to the beginning. You started life as like a as a racing driver at first. And that kind of led you into the, the technology stuff that you do now. Is that right? Well, tell us about that from the beginning. Oh, absolutely. But um, you don't quite remember because we've actually known each other for 17 years. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, I just wanted to get that uh, out of the way first. So, I mean, as a child, you were like seriously into motorsports and and uh, uh, stuff like that, right? You were like, was it Formula? You were doing the, the carts and all that kind of stuff. And that's kind of carried through into your career now, hasn't it? Yeah, well, absolutely. I mean, I um, when I was sort of eight, nine years old, I uh, or 10 years old, I was really into aviation. And that was my, my sort of first love. I wanted to be a pilot. And... Um, we didn't know any pilots with their own planes at the time. And so didn't have a lot of access to it. And, um, you know, I just one day I down at actually Lakeland go-karts right here on the, on the, uh, the beach strip. Uh, yeah, that was the first yeah. time I ever got in a go-kart and I, I didn't sleep that night. So I, uh, my dad was a motorcycle mechanic and go-karted when he was, uh, you know, a teenager. And I said, Hey, I want to, I want to try go-kart racing. And, uh, that, that, set off uh, <laughs> a big chain of events. And, so. I mean, you were just telling me the other day, I mean, you went a hell of a long way with it because you, you got to the point where you were dealing with sponsors and actually interacting with the federal government at the time when like uh, tobacco sponsorship was being outlawed and things like that. So uh, you were right there. I mean, it's a hell of a, I, I'm, I've learned in recent years, it's a really um, challenging sport to, to get anywhere because of the costs that are involved and the, uh, but um, from there, when I first met you, I mean, we we met at uh, 
of all places like dragon boating we used to both go dragon boating with a team in toronto and you were involved in that sport i mean i guess that was one of your first business ventures was you were making a new type of paddle for for um for dragon boating and i mean just tell us about how uh your first business kind of got going and and how that has got on from there well, the first business got going, which was Apex Composites in, in 2001. That was my uh, just after the last year of um, racing cars, which was uh, Formula 1600. Um, so we are, we were the an, an undercard event to like IndyCar in Toronto or Formula One in Montreal and uh, uh, Formula Atlantic in Trois-Rivières and, you know, Mossport, Shannonville. Um, did that for three years. And... Um, I like to say I, I ran out of money and talent at just the, exactly the same time. <laughs> so I figured it was it was about high time to think about what I might want to do next. And I was always in, interested in engineering uh, and in particularly these composite materials that these race cars were made of. So I decided that I wanted to learn something about that and then maybe be able to stay involved in motorsport through through composites and kind of marry two loves um it didn't pan out that way at least not at first <laughs> well you've gone through a big kind of diversion through water sports uh snow sports and i mean uh and the amazing thing to my mind is i mean i started a company as well but my company didn't cost anything all we needed was a computer and an internet connection and there was like i didn't have to get venture capital i didn't have to do any of those things which frankly i find kind of daunting you were what 20 and going into this thing where you needed huge equipment you're dealing with um innovative techniques um and how the hell did you do that how did you get people to give you money i guess that's... <laughs> you've got to tell me how to do that yeah well at 20 um only my parents were helping me out with a little bit of money um and uh, my grandmother invested as well um not huge dollars you know a few thousand dollars here and there but uh just, just more or less for me to to try to see if this was something for me and if I could develop skills, because back then, you know, two thousand one, actually in this area, there was very little composites, anything. Uh, I think Comtech was uh, uh, in Burlington and still is, by the way. Um, and then we had Multimatic up in Markham, but there wasn't much else in the in the GTA. So no companies to work for, no real classes, just one uh, training school in London, Ontario, who I'm happy to say is still going today. And that's where I ended up getting my first education, spent a couple grand for uh, only a week's training course. Really? <laughs> and that was the most hands-on and, and theoretical experience I could get um, at that time. Um, I, so just to jump in. So, I mean, we're, we're talking about like production of some pretty high-tech materials uh and whatnot i mean this is just maybe to give our, our listeners a bit of insight because not everyone is going to have the engineering or, or the technical background to fully appreciate this but you know what we're not talking like just kind of over-the-counter wares we're, we're talking like composites for complex machines like this is this is kind of the, the cutting edge of future building materials for you know for for vehicles uh aerospace kind of the, the vehicles of the, of the future, if I can be so bold, would that, would that kind of be the same, the kind of feel sorts the layman might understand? That's correct. I mean, um, uh, it's carbon fiber, uh, thermoset technology that we use. 
And that's what is used on the Boeing 787 and the Airbus A350. Uh, those are you know commercial aircraft that probably a lot of people have flown on. And they're made out of these very same materials. And so what FSI does um, is we use these high-tech materials and we shape them into uh, engineered structures for those types of aircraft. So, I mean, this is, this sounds kind of like the, the industry of, of the future, like this, as you know, we, we had on, uh, uh, last week, uh, Flavio Volpe from, uh, the auto parts manufacturing association for Canada. And we I mean, were talking about manufacturing the next generation of cars, you know, we're talking generating new, you know, the next generation of airplanes, trains, automobiles, uh, no pun intended, you know, like how how difficult is it to stay on that cutting edge, to, to stay one step ahead and, and kind of predict what the future market is going to need? Uh, or, you know, as a matter of predicting, are you are you kind of deciding, nope, this is what the, the materials of the future is going to be, or the cars of the future and the trains of the future are going to be made of? Made of? No, I think you have to keep an open mind. Um, there's no silver bullet to anything and there's no one solution. Um, just because these are so-called high-tech materials and, you know, viewed as the, the wave of the future and, and for a large part of, of our uh, of, of current day, um, doesn't mean you have to fall completely in love with it and, um, you know, can't look at, at any anything else. Um, I, I, you know, when it comes to uh, FSI, for, Formula Solutions, myself and, and the team that I've put together, um, we're really interested in providing solutions to our customer. Um, it's not like this is what we do. We're going to try to sell it to you any way we can to 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 try to convince you. Because if we're not convinced, then uh, we're not going to convince you. So it's about it's about solutions and it's about um, a collaborative approach. And mm. um, and when we have customers and we call them partners that. Um, uh, we are able to build that trust with, then um, the, the the benefits of the relationship are just way better on both sides. It, it's win-win. You know, back when I first knew you, you were making paddles, which are, I guess by the standards of what you're doing now are relatively simple, although they looked really nice. So I remember the expensive ones. <laughs> the uh, And then you went through that from that to, I mean, obviously something that caught quite a bit of media attention was when you worked with... Uh, the, the snowboard team uh, during the, the the Vancouver Olympics. How how did that come about? Did the, did they approach you and say build us a board? Was it a board you built, or was it like the whole thing, or just was it like the complex so, bits of it? It was weird. Um, I got a strange um, email. I uh, it was like two thousand seven or eight, um, and apparently someone found me on Yellow Pages, um, which. <laughs> it was weird (laughs) yeah that's what i mean it's like there's still yellow pages and it's 2008 um from somebody who introduced himself as one of the athletes on the canadian snowboard team and michael lambert was his name and he said i've got the this idea i need for my snowboard can you make it out of carbon fiber i responded i said sure you know and he said okay i'm in europe right now when i come back can i come see you and i said yeah come on in so he showed me what he needed and we, which was just literally a carbon fiber plate on that goes under the binding right. that replaced an aluminum plate. And, um, we, we did a few little innovative things with it. And, um, 
uh, we we sponsored him with it. We didn't charge him for it. And then um, he went to practice or training rather. And um, the equipment manager saw it and the head coach, Mark Fawcett, and said, who did that for you? And um, and then that's how we got in touch with Canada Snowboard directly um, because they saw what we did for, for Michael Lambert. And, I mean, we see carbon fiber things coming into a lot of sports. I mean, you know, hockey sticks aren't made out of wood anymore. Uh, paddles aren't made out of wood. Uh, what, uh, obviously... You know, plates that used to be aluminium are now uh, composites. What's what's the advantage for, from the layman's point of view? What what do what do they do that other things don't? Just they're lighter, or is it more to it? Yeah, so they're they're lighter. Um, people say lighter, stiffer, stronger. So um, it's got a more uh, a higher specific strength and a higher specific stiffness than um, some of these other materials. But it does come at a, a price premium. So when you're talking about, you know, deflection and and load bearing capabilities for for its given weight. Sorry, I just want to say, like, you know, what given the the experience that you've had with, the, you know, developing this for the Canadian snowboard team and then for, you know, the F1, Formula One aerospace, whatnot, like what's it in your professional opinion? Like what's, what's the demand for Canadian expertise? In the in these fields, because you you mentioned that you that there weren't a lot of manufacturers in the region, so I imagine this must be a bit of a, a niche market uh, for customers to come calling or knocking at your door saying, "Hey, we want to do business." Yes, that's correct. Um, there there are not a lot of composite manufacturing companies in Canada uh, that are in the aerospace business. Um, you have some really big ones like subsidiaries of Boeing and, and, and things of that, and like Airbus. But um, any sort of independent, privately owned companies, uh, there's little to none. So, is is that yeah. a, a case of, of Canada falling behind the rest of the world, or is it just it's so specialized that you don't get that many anywhere in the world, or, or is it, you know? Well, you do. Um, so, it, it, this is an interesting thing, um, and it's kind of led me down the path that I'm that I'm on now with with with, with how I. I see the the world of aerospace composites and and the potential there is um, being a, com- a experienced composites engineer and even an experienced composites technician, you need years um, and you need a lot of uh, different projects to build experience. And um, in Canada, as I said, very few companies, um, so therefore very few engineers and very few pro- projects to to hone your skills on. And what's interesting is that um, Formula One in the late 1970s, based out of the United uh, Kingdom, um, the teams there uh, started adopting aerospace technology um, above and beyond these um, aluminum honeycomb panels to now this uh, exotic carbon fiber. And they were getting the expertise from some aerospace companies at the time that had spent a ton of money developing it and mm-hmm. were able to learn from them. But the interesting thing about Formula One is that uh, it's not about making money. It's about how much can you spend to perform the best and it's bragging rights. So a lot of money gets spent. And how can you spend money? Um, how do you go faster? Um, develop your car more and faster, more engineers. So what ends up happening is you build this 
um, like uh, country of excellence or, or region of excellence based on this competition um, with, you know, it's, it's funny. I mean, I've been learning a little bit, well, a little bit of depth because of you uh, in recent years about, because you, you think of formula one, you think big gas engines, you know, uh, this, this, you know, this is almost like a sort of, you could say, uh, and, and I'm only saying it because I know it's kind of inaccurate that, you know, this is, this is an industry that's going away because it's just all based on oil and all these things. But I mean, the things that for, say formula one has developed over the years have are now not just being used in electric cars, say that are coming along or, or, uh, but are being used in other fields. I mean, they're like, like Williams de- developed a whole separate kind of, uh, way of storing power, like mm-hmm. which is basically have a big spinning wheel. I don't know what the technical term is. It's like a flywheel. Yeah, fly, uh, which seems like an amazing thing that you could actually store energy in your car with a with a with a flywheel. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess it, it's that's the kind of thing that we don't really have here in Canada because those major sports or whatever tend to be in other parts of the world. I suppose. I mean, it, it was would it do you find like people who would say were, were wanting to go in a, into a similar field as you would be? Would there be a strong temptation to sort of go abroad, or you know, could there be a brain drain? Uh, it, it, with, with people such as yourself you, who, who uh, have expertise in these areas? Um, no, I think that we need to, uh, I think the opportunity is here. Um, you know, uh, if you are, if this is an area you want to excel in, um, you're, there's not a lot of competition right now is what I'm trying to say. So That's if you want good, it, yeah. if you want it really badly and you want to put the effort in, you, you'll have a, a, a lot of attention from a lot of companies. Um, I just, I I just want to jump in because what what you're saying about the, just how the, the, like the, 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 you think of uh, the technology applicable in one industry in one specific way, but it clearly has multiple spin-off benefits for other industries. And I I was thinking of, I mean, when people think aerospace in Canada, typically their mind automatically goes to Bombardier. Um, And when Bombardier canceled their, their airplane, manufacturing uh, capabilities here in Canada, you know, people kind of thought, okay, well, that's just, you know, good for good riddance. They're just a, you know, they, they, all they do is they get uh, money from the government and, and it's a waste of tax dollars, et cetera, et cetera. But from what you're describing today, Jerry, like it, it, it the, 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 the spinoff loss that we have of this, you know, seeing it on top of the new, ma- new manufacturing materials and how to use these manufacturing materials for better, products and other industries down the way it's a, it's like it, it was a matter of just being short-sighted in in terms of canada's part like that that we we really don't have like a made in canada aerospace industry anymore we I mean, everybody says like you know since the avro arrow went down it's just been on life support and now probably dead uh, like are, are we at a detriment here in canada because we just don't have that vibrant industry and and maybe should we start kind of you know jump-starting it well you know, we are currently situated in the fifth largest uh, aerospace hub in the world. Oh, um, so okay. Well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I just need to set the record straight. Th- thanks, thanks for proving me wrong, Jerry. <laughs> um, uh, it's a well-known fact. Um, we are actually in a in a great space, uh, uh, a great place for aerospace. Um, in specific, though, when it comes to composites, it's just not something. Uh, I mean, we do have. Um, various initiatives uh, for for uh, promotion of composites and education in Canada. 
Um, but it's just, it's still that portion of the aerospace industry is still very, very small in, in this country. Um, it's bigger in the U S and it's very big in Europe. Uh, just to kind of go on to that, you know, we're, we're talking a lot of things that Roll and I have been talking about on this podcast has kind of been like post COVID, you know, what, what's the, and we're all talking about, we need to get back open. And most people think about, uh, you know, the, you know, the restaurants, but you know, maybe, maybe you can give us our listeners a bit of an insight in terms of the manufacturing side that we keep hearing about is like, what, what can people expect of that, of like our manufacturing industry in the, in the more higher tech jobs, the, the more in, I don't know if the right phrase is professional or intellectual jobs is the right phrase, but just the, just the high the higher end jobs. Like, what what do you see? What where how are you preparing for a post COVID world where uh, you know social distancing might be the norm? Well, I mean, um, we we're well prepared, I believe. Um, we look you know into the distance, and um, uh, we're we're talking about as far as you know our business is concerned is. Um, it's going to be um, skilled manufacturing. Um, it's a well-paying job, great benefits, great place to work. We're on a hiring spree right now, actually. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it's a competitive market. Um, there's, um, there's a lot of need out there right now. And, and we're, you know, we're advertising for things like composite laminators and nobody knows what that is. So uh, <laughs> even if we say it's well-paying, well, I don't, I can't, I don't qualify because I don't know what that is. But the truth is, is we're looking at how to reach out to people differently because your first week on the job is, is a full week of training. Um, so uh, basically what we're looking for is, is really good people with a great attitude um, and great work ethic that want to be part of this type of a company. Um, and we'll train you and we'll show you how to do it. So, so how, how, how do you go about searching for employees for a job that nobody knows what it is? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, <laughs> we don't have the answer yet. <laughs> we, we've tried a few different things. Uh, years ago, we had a, my last company, uh, an opportunity, um, but we needed to hire people really rapidly and seemed daunting. So we just decided to advertise for cabinet makers because uh, essentially that's kind of what the job broke down to. So they'd show up as cabinet makers and realize that they're not making cabinets and uh, it's not made of wood. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay. Well, yeah. and like you say, I mean, my experience of, of hiring people much more limited than yours is, is I'll take a good attitude a hundred times out of a hundred over whatever your resume says. Um, Cause yeah. First of all, because resume is going to be very flattering, <clears throat> and and it's that um, the desire to problem solve your way through a job is the most important thing, isn't it? It's uh, rather than oh hey, I don't know how to do this, and then go and ask someone. It's like okay, no, I'll work this out. Um, but I mean, I know you're dealing with some big new contracts at the moment, and you probably can't speak about those. I'm not sure if you can speak about them or not, but <laughs> head shaking. Don't even mention those ones. Um, but um, right, the, so I mean, in your bio, you mentioned you you're working with those sort of companies in the UK. Um, so, can you even talk about the kind of generic kind of things that you work on these days in a way that people can kind of understand? Oh yeah, for sure. So you know, we're um, working on a complex part. Um, um, 
trying to problem solve for our, for for our, uh, our customer, and we came up with a unique way of making this difficult part. Um, so that's led to a very uh, large contract. But you know, one of the ways that we've been able to solve some of these things is, like you said, with these these UK partners. Um, because there's so much expertise and 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 um, from all aspects of composites manufacturing, um, we can get engineers on short notice contract. Um, we can get composite technicians um, and things like that for when we have these projects we need to do rapidly. So we had this really challenging problem, and we partnered with um, a couple companies in the UK. One of them in particular was called um, MGI, which is Mike Gascoigne International. And um, he's one of the most successful uh, technical directors in Formula One history. Uh, Tyrrell, McLaren, Jordan, uh, Sauber, um, Toyota, um, you know, uh, so, so you name it, he, he's been around there. And uh, he went into retirement, you know, about, uh, uh, I guess it was around seven or eight years ago. And that's about when we got in contact because he wanted to do some consultancy work and and then he started he, he formed his own uh design office and we worked together on a bunch of new programs for aerospace and realized that we had a model here where we could tap into um that expertise and um um you know use them as a contractor for us instead of you know trying to build a huge engineering office where we then have to you know, always keep that engineering office busy um, with this, as hard as it is to get the expertise, it, you know, here in this area. So that was the concept and we've, we've carried, uh, been carrying it forward. Yeah, the great thing is, I guess, is you're now bringing that expertise to Canada, your own staff are getting that specialism that used to be in another part of the world. Uh, so I mean, it's, 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 it's really impressive to see. I mean, I guess I knew you in the fairly early days of company number one uh, and, to see how this is built and built and built over the years is um, is, 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 is incredible to see. And I'm just so impressed always with people who have the kind of guts to set out to do these things. You know, it's, uh, it's, uh, <clears throat> it's yeah, it's, it's so impressive. Um, so, I mean, let's ask you one of those interview questions, you know, um, where do you see yourself in 10 years? <laughs> <laughs> uh, still doing what I'm doing. You know, um, maybe a few extra weeks vacation, but <laughs> yeah. no, I love this. Um, it's it's uh, what I love getting out of bed for in the morning to go to go uh, build this company and you know find the next innovation and work with the team to you know take crazy ideas and make them real. And it's uh, it, uh, it's I it's gonna I don't know what what it's gonna take to to get that out of my system. So. <laughs> Well, that's good to hear, and you, you, you know it's it's easy to get jaundiced by any job. Um, yeah, and in terms of you know you're you're a Burlington guy, just like uh, Joel is, kind of born and bred, um, and you're still here. I mean, uh, I mean, is it, do you find this a good part of the world to do what you do? I mean, you said you're this, this huge aerospace, and I guess the nine to five really is. I mean, it's one of, if not the engine of Canada really isn't it I mean um, you know, we're, we're such a big part of the population lives here um, within such a relatively small area um, you know do you do you I mean the, the 905 is growing all the time with larger populations do you, do you see it staying 
a kind of center of innovation or is it you know if someone came along and said hey what about doing this in some other part of the world would there be any advantages to that or would you say no this is this is about a good place to do this as, as you're going to find yeah I, I i'd agree with the the latter um and this is what we're doing with fsi um you know what we really want and and the board of directors wants as well um is to build a world-class highly automated facility um of course you still need lots of staff um but well-paid staff, well-taken-care-of, um, you know, and a great environment to work in to the point where that if you said we're going to take this to a low-cost country and you do the, the cost-benefit analysis, you'd say absolutely no, no way. So we're, we're offering the value to the, uh, to the customer and we're offering, you know, the value to our shareholders and it's, uh, it's, it's win-win and we try to take that element of, of the competition away. And that's a really interesting point you made there. Uh, I suspect Joel was going to make the same one, which is um, that, you know, Canada, we don't want to compete with China on wages, but but that's not, we're not in the same game. We're in, we're in the expertise, the, the, the skilled workforce game, and they're in the cheap game. <laughs> uh, and we don't want to be competing with them. We want to be competing on, you know, this highly educated workforce, skills that you can't get in other places. Uh, and, you know, I love hearing from, from someone such as yourself uh, saying, you know, we want to pay people really well because we want them to be doing the best kind of work. Um, and it's, uh, yeah, I mean, that, that's such an important lesson, I think, of what Canada as a, as a you know, our competitive advantage. We're not going to be the cheapest. We're going to be the best. And I think that's, a, 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 yeah, that's a key sort of lesson, I feel, of the, of the current times. Joel, were you on this? Yes. I was going to touch on that as well because I thought that was interesting. Uh, mostly because, like, and I guess in the public's mindset, the the common thought is business. You go wherever the cost is the cheapest, which would mean, as Roland said, yeah, you go to China. The thought was you used to go to China to get cheap labor, but I find I think the Chinese are actually shipping their labor off to uh, Africa and Bangladesh, actually. Um, so you know, it we're a little behind the ball on that one. Um, I, I guess from your perspective, like, can can what you, can you ship off what you're doing to a, a low income uh country just for the, the cheap labor i mean it's it sounds like you're dealing with some pretty uh you, you need some skills to be highly you know to to know how to handle the material and to shape it to the customization that you need um it, you know is this kind of like the the industry of the future that canada needs uh to embrace and nurture oh i absolutely believe so um so again the whole point of this is that uh, we are motivated to produce in canada and produce here um, in the 905 so um we we're designing the entire solution based on uh making it uncompetitive to take it offshore it, it would be cost neutral at best um, and at worst, it would be a, an epic failure. And that's, you know, that that's the way we look at things. Um, if, if somebody can do it cheaper somewhere else, just because you pay somebody less, then that's not something we're interested in. Here, here to that. Well, I think, Jerry, I mean, thanks so much for joining us today. I mean, I think uh, it, it's, it's fascinating to see. Uh, we've just, the last couple of weeks sort of 
speaking to yourself and Flavio Volpe, um, really interesting insights into industry in the 905. Um, and a whole side that, that I think I, I'm, I fully admit I'm completely ignorant of and um, because it's just like we don't move in that world and yet it's on our doorstep and we're surrounded by all this incredible innovation and uh uh yeah it, it's it's good to see and it's uh it's particularly good uh having to know actually someone who's who's done this over the last 20 years and uh see you being such a success um and really a proof to anybody listening any young people who want to start up a business it's like go do it because <laughs> it, it, i think the main the main qualification is sort of courage and and a good work ethic i guess you just have to never give up and um, I think, you know, when you give up, then you kind of failed. But if you never give up, there's a really good chance that you will uh, succeed. Well, that's, uh, that's a good place to end it, I think. Uh, <laughs> so thanks so much, Jerry. We're not giving up. However, we are actually taking a break. <laughs> it's, um, it's summer vacation for the 905er. <laughs> yeah, so we're going to take the next few weeks off, basically August. We'll, we'll be running... We'll be running episodes. Some of our our uh, some of our best. Uh, what's the word? What's the word? The greatest Highlight. hits. Greatest hits from the last year. <laughs> um, but um, we'll be back uh, at the start of September for sure, refreshed and rejuvenated, and with a new lineup of, uh, of guests. And uh, thanks everybody in the meantime for having listened to us through our first year of the nine hundred five er, and uh, we're looking forward to the second year. Bye for now. That's it for this episode of the 905er. Thank you for listening. As always, you can send us your feedback, thoughts, and concerns, or ideas for future episodes to our email, info at 905er.ca. We'd love to hear from you. You can help us keep the 905er going by financially supporting us through Patreon as well as PayPal. Visit us at 905er.ca and click on the support tab. As well, links are in the show notes for your convenience. Lastly, you can find us on social media. Search for the underscore 905er on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. So long for now. See you next time. I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent, almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com.